I'm getting up to date, that the topic of exorcism uh, is appearing more and more frequently, which actually sounds like the introductory statement of a stand-up comedian. So I'm really sorry about that. I don't have anything funny to say about this, so I'm just going to keep rolling with, uh, with what I have to, we have to say. In case you're not familiar with the term, exorcism is the process of freeing a person or a place of evil spirits or malignant influences. Look that definition up just so that we could be all on the same page with what it is. I brought a picture which uh, exorcisms are commonly depicted uh, in art and so you can see that on the screen. That is a painting. It's about, it's, uh, the topic is Saint Francis Borgia helping a dying impenitent. And so the, the, the reason I brought that particular picture is to give you an understanding of where people have historically thought uh, being possessed by an evil spirit comes from. It happens when you look away from God, you're trying to find your fulfillment in, in life and in yourself and in the things around the world, and you've given yourself so fully over, that, over to that that you are under the influence of, of other things, of the other, of the other kingdom. Now, I know it, kind of, it may seem kind of strange to our ears to talk about this because we are, we are a very materialistic culture. We, uh, if we want to explain it by science, and if science doesn't explain it, then uh, it must not be a thing. So we try to talk about uh, exorcism and when we read about it or see pictures of it as, as something psychological or there's some sort of medical condition that causes this. But... Last year, December of 2018, in a magazine called The Atlantic. So this is a, a, a popular magazine. This isn't, this isn't even a religious thing. Uh, it's, it's not something that's just uh, uh, on the back shelves. This is, this is mainstream. And in 2018, they did an article about, about exorcisms because it is becoming so, so prominent. And they talked about how the demand for exorcisms among not only Catholics, but Orthodox Christians and Protestant denominations is increasing very, very rapidly in our culture. And in fact, in the article, they interviewed one priest who said that last year, uh, or I guess it was 2017, he had 1,700 requests to perform exorcisms. They also interviewed a Protestant person who, who oversees this sort of thing, and, and that pastor said that he received 12 phone calls a week from people to come and investigate uh, particular, uh, particular things happening with people that might uh, or might not be uh, the result of some sort of, uh, of demon issue. Jesus addressed this with his disciples uh, many times. This happened over and over in the Gospels. And while we look to people or, or people who are uh, pursuing an exorcism look to somebody with special training, uh, Jesus said it was pretty simple. It's just prayer. It's being connected to God. If you want to have the power to, to elicit change in someone, then, then it's all about, uh, about connection. And so we're going to look at uh, an example where Jesus encountered somebody that was, that was filled with, with an evil, a malignant spirit. And we're going to see how uh, Jesus handled this. And we're also going to look at what this really means for us uh, in our, our day and age as we are trying to follow Jesus faithfully uh, in our culture. So the context of the passage that I'm going to read for you, it's in the very beginning of Mark chapter 5. 
Mark is a book that was written to, to believers. It was written to a church, and the, the believers Mark was writing to were, were, were complacent. They were, they were suffering from persecution. They had gotten uh, lethargic in their uh, following Christ, and they were trying to understand how to respond to the persecutions they were experiencing. This is why I love the book of Mark. Because I really feel like this speaks to us, meaning the United States, our culture, uh, as we sit in church. Uh, Me, all of us, I feel like we've gotten complacent about how we interact with the culture around us, how we respond to things that that we don't agree with or values that are different. Uh, And we we, we struggle so much on how do we we live faithfully in in a culture that is continuing to press against us and try to conform us to, to, to a different image. And throughout Mark, the disciples are pictured as struggling to to separate their faith from their expectations. In Mark, the disciples are pictured as clueless, and they bumble around, and they continually make mistakes, and Jesus has to keep talking to them and, and trying to help them gain clarity of their understanding. And so I'm going to read from Chip chapter 5, but if we just go a page back into chapter 4, just want to let you know what's leading up to this encounter Jesus has with the demon-possessed man. So at the beginning of chapter 4, Jesus teaches, uh, he gives the parable of scattering seed. And in case you're not familiar with this, what Jesus said is when, when you go around talking about the good news of the gospel, you're spreading seed. And there's basically four kinds of soils that you're going to be speaking these words into. Okay, there's going to be the path, which is not receptive to, to what you're saying at all. There is the rocky soil, which uh, there's not a lot of place for, for the, the seed to root and to grow into something uh, that's going to, to be meaningful. There's the thorns, where the, the seed can't even find root because there's so much other stuff going on. And then finally, there's the good soil. And then from there, Jesus goes in and he teaches about the kingdom that he has come to establish, which was his mission and purpose uh, in coming to this world, was to set up a kingdom opposed to the kingdom uh, of the world. And then at the end of chapter 4, and in fact, this was almost a year ago, I spoke here about the passage at the end of chapter 4 where Jesus gets in the boat with his disciples and they are they're going across the, 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 the lake, the Sea of Galilee, and, and they are almost consumed by, by the waves and, and what, it, what is happening. And in, just to refresh your memory, because I'm pretty sure most of you don't remember me being here uh, a year ago, what the, what the rough seas, and you can go back and listen to it. I listened to it a little bit. I sound okay. Uh, the, what the rough seas is talking about is the opposition that we experience within ourselves as we follow Jesus. Okay, that, that's all about how the world is going to press in as we live our lives as believers, as we're in the boat with other followers of Christ, and how, how, we, live, uh, how we live through that. And so now, that takes us to where we are now, at the beginning of chapter 5. And the, the disciples and Jesus, they, they, the boat reaches the other side of the lake. Um, and in, in the book of Mark, when, when the disciples and Jesus get into a boat or if they go into a house, that is teaching directed right to believers. 
Okay, this, that's a representation of the church and, and what Jesus has to say directly to people that are, that are following him. That is not instruction that is for, 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 for people outside. But now we're to the other side, and Jesus is, is getting ready to get out of the boat. And what I want to talk to you about is how this story of Jesus encountering this demon-possessed man is a picture of the opposition that we experience as we step outside the boat. As all of us leave the church here today, as we we leave the comfort of our relationships that we have with other followers of Christ, and we have to go engage a world that is not on our side as we pursue and hopefully develop passion for for following Jesus. So I'm going to start reading. I'm going to read Mark chapter 5, the first five verses. The words will be on the screen if you have the Bible on your phone or or if you brought a Bible with you. uh, You can open up to Mark chapter 5. And so here we go. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes, where Jesus got out of the boat. So Jesus is leaving the the comfort of familiarity with with his followers, and he's stepping into uh, the unknown, to opposition territory. A man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and he broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. So when the disciples and Jesus get to the other side of the lake, they are now in Gentile country. Okay, they, they are not, no longer in, in Israel. So... First off, if you're one of the 12, you are now completely off balance. You're out of your comfort zone. This Messiah that you've been following is supposed to be Israel's Messiah. He was supposed to restore Israel to its rightful place. In fact, he was was supposed to, in their mind, get rid of the the Gentile oppressors from, from being in Israel or around Israel. And so when they, when they are getting out of the boat, they're noticing that everything around them is unclean, right? We're, we're, we're in the tombs, so there's dead bodies all around. They don't want any, that, that touching a dead body, being around a dead body makes you ritually unclean. There's a man cutting himself to, to deform your body. That was another uh, unclean thing. He's naked. He's not clothed. Another unclean thing. They don't want to look on that. We're going to see in a lot of there's pigs everywhere. Pigs, Jewish people like Muslim people that we're familiar with, they don't eat pork, look at pork, touch pork. That is going to make them unclean. And now we've got evil spirits. So I'm guessing that as the disciples are stepping out of the boat, they want a hazmat suit. Right? They want one of those yellow suits that they can just totally immerse themselves in uh, so that they do not have to, uh, have to have any contact with all this unclean stuff. And, and what Jesus is trying to show them and teach them in this moment is that the boundaries between the Jews and, and the rest of humanity are being eliminated. See, God's original intent was he, he commissioned people in order to spread his good news so that the, the world would, would, would surrender to him. And he started doing that with Adam and Eve, and then they decided to turn to themselves, and they got selfish, and then God rebooted the system, and he tried again with, with, with Israel, and, and 
Israel then kind of got full of themselves and decided that they were special not because of the God they were following, but they were special because of the, the power and the riches uh, of, of, the, of the history. So now there, there's no longer going to be this division between Jew and, and Gentile. And so Jesus got out of the boat. And again, that means that he, he left the security of, of being around people that are like-minded. And so what are we to learn from this? Well, the first thing is that Jesus intentionally goes into the heart of the opposition. I think one of the things that we lose as we follow Jesus is that we, we become part of a, a, a kingdom that is con, in conflict with the world, with the kingdom that, that is around it. And, and what Jesus does is he very purposefully steps into that conflict. And in those five verses that I just read, I want you to miss the, the kingdom imagery here. If you, if you start reading Mark at the beginning, and in chapter 1, Jesus declares his purpose, that he is here to establish the, the kingdom of God. And then in chapter 3, when he is being questioned about what kingdom he's actually working for, because the Pharisees accused him of, of trying to work for Satan, and, and, and Jesus said, how, how do you plunder the strong man? Well, you've got, to, you've got to enter the strong man's house and you've got to bind him up before you can take what belongs to the strong man. And so here we see this man that, that no one could bind. The best efforts of the world to, to enchain this man and to subdue him had failed. And now Jesus steps into the scene. This is all about the kingdom, this imagery that, that we're having here. So Jesus is in enemy, enemy territory. And this is what the values of the world do. The, the values of the world uh, marginalize people like this man w was marginalized. They, they cast people that, that maybe they don't feel has value, that are not being productive, that are not fit, fitting a certain image. They, they put them out. And so this man, he's living out in the tombs. He, no one knows what to do with him or how to deal with him. So the best strategy that the world had to, to deal with this man is to, to just ignore him, ignore his screams and his pleas for help. And, uh, and when chains failed, they just got a great distance uh, away. And I think as complacent disciples, right, as people who kind of are, are sitting around uh, fat and happy, for lack of better words, I think a lot of times we would rather avoid confronting the opposition. We're, we're, we're happier with a, uh, with a Jesus who's neat and pretty and makes the troubles go away rather than a Jesus that, as we follow him, invites us into, into those troubles. But Jesus prepared his disciples and us by extension when he said this in Matthew chapter 10. He said, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be shrewd as snakes and as innocent in doves as doves. Our motivations are to be pure, but we're not just to give ourselves over to, to the slaughter. Jesus knew that there's a, a world that's inhospitable to, to who we become as, as we follow him. So there's a battle between these two opposing kingdoms. And basically, it's just two different ways of, of finding life. Where are you going to, to find life? 
and, and the life that you want? Are you going to find it in the things that the, that the world says are meaningful or valuable or, pri- or a priority? Or are you going to be in the kingdom of Christ where God is the king and we surrender to that? Where is the place you're going to find life? And I know as a church, you've heard this message over and over for the last bunch of weeks. You're in, a, you're in a, a series called Standing Firm. You're in Ephesians. You're looking at the armor of God and how to remain steadfast in the, in the midst of this battle. Okay, Paul, when he wrote that, he's, he's all about the battle imagery. That's why you're wearing the, the armor of God. And I think that's something that surprises us if, if we think about it, right? Jesus was supposed to be a, a man of peace, Right? But now we've got this, this battle imagery. Okay? We, we expect Jesus to be docile and, and accepting instead of having this, this warrior mentality. Now, I just want to also preface this, and I know you've heard this. I know Anthony ha- has said this. Don't get distracted by the battle imagery. Because Paul also says in that Ephesians passage that our fight is, against, is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers and the powers of this dark world. We're, we're here as part of God's kingdom. We're here for rescue, not judgment and condemnation. We want to get other people out of the battle and part of the kingdom of light as it battles the, this dark world. So let's see how Jesus does this rescue instead of condemnation and judgment. So in verse uh, 6 of Mark chapter 5, When he saw Jesus, so the uh, demon-possessed man, he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell at his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want from me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus has said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. So, if you read Mark from cover to cover, I think you will be struck by how the disciples don't fully understand Jesus or recognize the kingdom that he is coming to. And that's, that's Mark's device as he writes this. He wants, he wants you to be dumbstruck by how, how, uh, how ignorant and unseeing the disciples are so that you can apply that to yourself and say, am I, am I that unseeing as I walk around and as I'm following Jesus? So they didn't understand the type of kingdom that he, that he, was, he was coming to, to build. But see here what we're told the enemy does. The opposition to Jesus knows exactly. They're very clear about the kingdom and the purpose. And so as we read or as we hear these words, they serve as an, a reminder. They become a mirror for our complacency and our fear. If the enemy is really clear about what kind of kingdom and, and how, how Jesus leads this kingdom, then shouldn't we be just as, as crystal clear? Jesus is the son of the most high God. They knew this. They were aware. They ran to Jesus. They had to, they had, this, this impure spirit had to surrender and kneel before for Jesus. It had no other choice. But yet, these impure spirits, even though they know, even though they are aware of who Jesus is, they're still rebelling. They, they are not repenting. So what that tells us is as we encounter the world around us that, we are, that we're immersed in in our day-to-day lives, we should expect opposition. We, we should have a mindset that, 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 that expects to, to be in conflict 
expect for, expects the dissonance between beliefs and, and values. Now, and I think a lot of times what, what we feel is when we leave here, we, we expect cultural validation. Right? We expect when we talk about our values about marriage and relationships and sexuality and justice and generosity and all the other things, we expect the, the, the world to, to validate that or mimic that or to say, yeah, I totally understand and it's, it's natural that, that that would be a valuable thing. And, and part of that is because we've been lulled for so long by, uh, by a culture that's kind of lived in an imitation of the values of the kingdom has at least spoken the words about, about some of these things, whether or not it, it's lived them faithfully. And so we've developed, as followers of Jesus, we developed this false mindset of, if I live my faith right, no one should notice me. So we try to live quiet and behind the scenes, rather than, as we see Jesus here, stepping out forcefully, engaging uh, the opposition. The enemy is an imitator. The enemy wants to lull us into thinking everything's okay, and if we live our faith quietly, then that's, that's, that's a good thing. Because the less power we show and exert as we are following Jesus, the more power he gets to exert in the, the opposition kingdom. So our mindset as we leave here, as we leave like-mindedness, as we leave, leave our community of people who are following Jesus together, our mindset has to be that we are walking into a kingdom that, that, is, that is unwelcoming to, to who we are. We're following Jesus. We are citizens of, of another kingdom. We are aliens in this world. And what that does is it involves a, a great risk. And so Jesus, he takes this risk, and we see this in, in verse 9 as we continue reading through this passage. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? Because the common belief back then was the way to get rid of a demon, to expel it, was once you knew its name, it was over. Showtime over. And so the, 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 the impure spirit, it can't resist Jesus. It says, my name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission. And the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. It's kind of funny here that, the, that this impure spirit calls itself legion because that would, have, that would have been another dig at the Jews, at the Jewishness of the disciples, another, another reminder of Roman occupation. Because that's what, that's what, the, Roman, uh, that's what the, uh, the, the Roman kingdom called their, their groups of military men. They called them their, their legions. And, and the Roman Empire was, was another, yet another, in a long series of attempts of, of mankind to create a kingdom that doesn't require the, the creator. And so, a thing to understand here about what's going on and what this would be communicating to the original hearers is that, that disease among humans and chaos in the world were, were understood as part of the disobedience of the, of the creation against its creator. Not necessarily disobedience of, the, the, of, the, of, of us, 
And we saw that reflected when, when the disciples asked Jesus, who sinned, this man or his father, that he was born blind? And Jesus says, neither. Okay? But the, the whole creation is in disobedience. And that's, where, that's why there's disease among us. That's why there's chaos. That's, and that's why there are e evil and impure spirits going around to take advantage of this. So, disease and chaos were the means by which Satan, the enemy, holds the creation and us in bondage. And so, miracles and healings, when you read about them in, in the Bible, they were meant as a herald for God's plan of rescuing and freeing humanity from, from this opposing kingdom. And so we see here that when Jesus, uh, when Jesus casts out this impure spirit, it gets sent into pigs and the pigs run off and there would have been a great cost to that. And, and so what that means for us is that following Jesus involves sacrifice. Getting out of the boat, engaging the opposition is going to involve uh, sac sacrifice. Our job as followers of Jesus is not to make the gospel more palatable. It's not to explain away. I think a lot of times when we're trying to talk about Jesus to other people, we try to do this in a way that we want to keep people from making a sacrifice. No, following Jesus is not a, not a painful process at all. It's going, to make everything, it's going to make everything better, and it'd be great if that were true. And lots and lots of things do get made better, but there's lots and lots of risk and, 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 and pain and trials when you begin to, to follow Jesus. That is, that is the reality, but it's not always the reality that we want to, to give people. And so I think sometimes we enable people and we say, you know what, the things that the things you do, you don't need to give up any of those things. It's all good. Jesus is going to, and Jesus does love us all where we are, but he doesn't love our, our disobedience. And so we need to let go of what is unclean. And so among us, the enemy might not presently be using demons and impure spirits, we are commonly enslaved by other products of looking away from God, right? We debt because we're trying to buy things and make ourselves feel better that way, or anxiety, insecurity, anger, busyness, abuse, perfectionism, image, all of these things, and a, and a, a list longer than I could read in, in the 40 minutes Anthony gives me to, to, to talk to you today. There is a list so long of ways that we become ensnared by looking away from God and looking to the other kingdom to try to get our, our purpose and worth and, and fulfillment. See, in Jesus, we're a new creation. We're, we're not a better version. We're not a, a more effective version. We're not a version that gets better results of the old person that we were. So the reality is there are going to be behaviors that you have to change, and there are going to be things that you have to, to surrender. There gonna, are going to be things that the other kingdom says, these things are all, all fine, don't worry about it, but, but not so much with Jesus. And, that, and what that battle is called uh, it is, is called carrying your cross. Right? That's, the, that's the burden that we, that we bear, and Jesus bears with us so that we experience it a lot lighter. But that's the cost of following Jesus, that we have a cross to pay. So you might be, not, might be thinking, hey, why didn't Jesus just put the demons to death? Why didn't he just, poof, you're gone? Well, because it's not time yet. 
If you read about this same encounter in Matthew chapter 8, there's a parallel encounter there. Matthew adds this detail that the, that the impure spirit says, Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? The enemy has been given run of this world for, for a period of time so that, that God can see who, who's on his side and, and who's not on his side. And so we're going to see what side does this community fall on after they see the miracle that Jesus performed. So in verse 14, it says, Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town. They didn't want to get blamed for the loss of 2,000 pigs. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the, by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their, their region. So picture this. The townspeople who had, been, who had been hearing this man's wailing and seeing him cut himself and they couldn't bind him, they finally come out and they see this miracle before them. They see that same man. He's clothed. He's sitting there. He's, he's sitting at the feet of Jesus. He's in his right mind. He's learning. This is something none of them could do, and Jesus didn't lay a hand on the man, and now it has been accomplished. There is health. There is order. And instead of resp a response of awe, they respond with fear. When they saw what happened to the pigs, they decided that they were not willing to pay that price. They valued the pigs more than they valued the man. And that actually says a lot about the world we live in, and that could be a whole, a whole message in itself about the values of the world and, and how when we live in the world, we're devalued rather than, than uplifted. Salvation had come to this community, and they withdrew from it. And so for us, as we engage the opposition as we, as we look to our, our friends and family and neighbors and our co-workers and we, and we want to engage them with the hope of the gospel, here's a truth. The offer of liberation is not always met with gratitude. This community, they, they begged Jesus to leave. They said, you just got out of the boat, please. Turn around and get back in your boat and go back where, where you came from. We do not want any of this here. And so for, we have to be aware of that. For some, the price uh, of leaving the old ways, of releasing their grip on what's unclean, that, that's going to be too high. They can't, they can't give up themselves. They're, they're, they're too bound up by it. And all we can do is we can spread seed. And we can hope at some point that that, that hard, rocky soil or that path or the thorns, whatever it is, hopefully at some point, maybe through our persistence, that soil changes. Because it's not until the soil becomes good that the root gets planted and then the, the tree of life sprouts. You might get blamed for making things worse for people. We ha that's the mindset we have to have and cannot be surprised by. This is how J Jesus relates this to his disciples in John. He says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. So when we, are, when, when we upset the apple cart, so to speak, we shouldn't, we shouldn't feel bad about that. We should rejoice because we are following the, the very same footsteps of the, of the Savior that we are following. The world hated him. The world put him to death. 
to get rid of him in the message and the, the, the new kingdom that he, was, that, he, that he came to start. And so this warning is, is for us. If we, if we meet the opposition and instead of standing firm, if we, if we compromise and we seek validation, then we're trying to become one with the world rather than one with, with God. Now, this is not an invitation to be a disagreeable person, okay? So this is not an invitation to walk around with condemnation and judgment and pointing out every wrong thing that people do. That is not the style of Jesus. That is not what he is inviting us to do here. Because if the world hates you because you're a disagreeable person, okay, that's justified, okay? We are to look different as we wage this battle. We're to love our enemies. We're to have compassion on them. We're to offer kindness and, and meet their anger and hatred with love. Because they hate the one who is forming the root of who you are. And so as we, as we finish up this story, i got a couple more verses to read. Uh, Mark chapter 5, this is verse 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat, so he, Jesus said, okay, if I'm not wanted here, I'm going to go. It's no big deal. As Jesus was getting in the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. By the way... This is a complete contrast to the disciples who are portrayed as selfish and trying to follow Jesus to get what they want. This man is begging Jesus to to go with him. And Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. and, And all the people were amazed. So... This, is the, this man, this is the response of the good soil, right? This is, this is the, I want to be closer to you, Jesus. I want to follow you. I want to go wherever you are. I want to be right there at your feet. And he, he begged and begged. That's a contrast to our complacency as we are, uh, as we are immersed in media and technology and entertainment and, and distraction. I don't know that any of us, and when I say us, I'm including myself, I don't know that any of us are begging Jesus, can I just follow you a little further? But Jesus gives him clear instruction. Everybody does not have the same role. Jesus said, you're, you're one of my followers now, but you're not, you're not one of the 12. Sorry, those positions are filled, but here's what I want you to do. And he tells him how to overcome the opposition. You overcome the opposition by telling how much the Lord has done for you. He tells him to go into the Decapolis. Now, in case you don't know what that is, Decapolis means 10 cities. There are 10 cities just beyond the border of Israel. So uh, nine of the 10 were in Gentile country. They were the eastern front of the, of the Roman Empire. Two of the cities are in modern day Syria. Seven of them are in Jordan. One is just inside the, the border of Israel. And the, the man was to go around and spread the seed. That's why I mentioned that at the beginning of chapter 4. He was to go around and spread spreading the seed of the good news of what the Lord had done to all of these areas that had no familiarity with with the God of the Bible and were indifferent to that. God uses broken people. No one here is perfect, but if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're changed, if you're developing that root, if you're working it out, then then God is is using you. And, And just as I wrap up, I want to show you an impact I'd like to think that this, this guy had. 
If you flip ahead to Mark chapter 8, there's a miracle there where Jesus feeds 4,000 people that because such a huge crowd had come to hear him speak and to hear the hope. And by the way, the 4,000 was just men. It didn't count women and children. So it's probably eight or 10,000 people actually had come to, to hear Jesus and, and listen to what his words. Do you know where that feeding of the 4,000 took place? In the Decapolis. So in my mind, I just have this picture of this man went around and he's spreading all this seed. He's telling people what the Lord has done and they're reacting now with amazement because maybe that one community didn't want to pay the price, but maybe there were others that were, were, were looking for something different. And so they went to hear Jesus. He filled up a 10,000 seat auditorium by telling, uh, by telling people what the, what the Lord ha had done. So in this region where, where there was once fear, there was now a, a, a receptivity in, in the crowds. And that's the picture for us. We should be so consumed with Jesus in our lives that we, uh, we cannot wait to tell people what the Lord has done. This is the way to overcome opposition. This is, this is what that scary word evangelism is. Okay, evangelism doesn't start with having a list of scriptures to bring people to. It tells, it's about telling people what the Lord has done with you. You have to internally stay rooted to who Jesus is, and then you, you, you are externally able to say, this is what Jesus has done and is doing in my life. This is the change uh, in me. And it becomes a very natural thing when it's just a fruit uh, of who you are. And so this is the thing that as we roll out to the end of our service here, this is what I want you to meditate on. What has the Lord done for you? Because maybe this is the problem as you are you're engaging the world. Maybe you don't know. Maybe you need to, to learn a little more how meaningful it is that Jesus paid a ransom for you before God. Maybe You've been, become so complacent that you're disconnected and God isn't doing anything with you right now. You're just adrift. And maybe it's time to renew that, that connection and that root and that commitment. It is never too late. God is patient. You see it in Mark. He's patient with his disciples as they bumble into each other and argue about who's the greatest and wanting to be in Jesus right and left and have the positions of, uh, of, 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 of prominence in the kingdom. And Jesus has to constantly rebuke them. He never gives up on them, and he doesn't give up uh, on us. Think about your life in Christ. What is it that the Lord has done with you? What can you tell people as they, as they stand opposed? Pray with me, please. God, thank you, first off, that in, in everything, in every situation that we encounter, as disciples of your son, that he has, he has gone there first. He has encountered the opposition. He has shown us how to step out of the boat and to, to stand on shore. He has given us the way that we are to counter that opposition. And God, he's also, he's also shown each of us that when, when we encounter it, we're to respond in love and compassion and faithfulness. So as we prepare in a few minutes to leave here and enter back into uh, a world that is going to press in, in, into our values and our beliefs and to try to convince us that the way we are following is, 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 is ancient and it's superstition, I pray that we would, we would know what you have done for us, 
that, w that we would be rooted in those things, that we would draw our hope from those things, and that we can communicate that hope with the world around us. Thank you for everything. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray this morning. Amen.